Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org. Today is Wednesday. It is the 18th of October. This is Here First from IPR News. I'm Clay Masters. Today marks the first day Iowans can begin casting early voting ballots for the upcoming city and school elections. IPR's Natalie Krebs has the details. This is the first day Iowans can start casting early ballots for the upcoming November election. It's also the first day that county auditors will begin mailing out absentee ballots to the more than 5,500 Iowans who have requested one so far. That's according to the Secretary of State's office. Iowans can continue to request absentee ballots by mail until next Monday. County auditors must receive them by 8 p.m. on Election Day. That's November 7th. Absentee ballot request forms are available at voterready.iowa.gov. Those who are interested in early voting in person can do so at their county auditor's office. All four of Iowa's Republican members of the U.S. House voted for Ohio Representative Jim Jordan in the failed vote for Speaker of the House yesterday. Jordan and his allies anticipated they could face more than one round of votes, and they are continuing to work to win over the Republicans who remain opposed to Jordan's leadership. Yesterday afternoon, the House voted 200 to 232, with 20 Republicans voting against Jordan. Several members voted for previous candidates for the job, including former Speaker Kevin McCarthy and House Majority Leader Steve Scalise. Cedar Falls community leader and small business owner Sarah Corkery announced yesterday she will seek the Democratic nomination for Iowa's 2nd Congressional District. That sets up a potential challenge to Republican incumbent U.S. Representative Ashley Henson of Marion. The district includes Cedar Rapids, Dubuque, Waterloo, and Grinnell. The Cedar Rapids Gazette reports Corkery is a first-time candidate and two-time breast cancer survivor. She says she is running to expand access to affordable health care, lower prescription drug costs, strengthen gun safety laws, and help farmers modernize their business. Cedar Rapids is demanding more oversight of projects using city funds. The new language comes after a city-funded project in Cedar Rapids' Banjo Block was cited for safety violations and investigated for child labor violations. IPR's Zachary Oren-Smith has the details. Iowa's second largest city has new requirements for developers looking to the city for help in funding new projects. Last June, Indianapolis-based TWG Construction was fined after serious safety violations were found. It also kicked off a U.S. Department of Labor investigation into alleged child labor violations. Under new language, lack of response on these issues could result in a breach of contract, potentially costing developers previously negotiated public funding. For a developer to access city funds for a project, it has to be willing to hand over payroll records, even social security numbers, for any contractors or subcontractors working on the site. They'd also have to provide proof of unemployment insurance and workers' compensation insurance coverage. Elk Run Preschool has been sold to the Cedar Valley Boys and Girls Club for $1. The decision to sell the property came unanimously from a Waterloo Board of Education vote. Bailey Moore is the director of operations for the club and says that 
it isn't just the Board of Education that is 100% on board. You know, between having some community impact programs versus tearing the building down, it's always going to be better to have things that are, you know, positive impacts for the community. And that's really what I think the consensus of the Elk Run community was, you know, yeah, let's keep this building and let's see some good things happen out of it. The Boys and Girls Club hopes to better serve families that work in Waterloo or Cedar Falls but live farther out. The long-term plan for the school includes a total remodel, starting with a $200,000 furnace project. The club won the building over bids for a housing development and Tyson Foods. And the Iowa DNR will start trout stalking 18 lakes across the state this weekend. It's part of the DNR's cool weather trout program that brings trout to areas that can't support them during summer months. It's here first from IPR. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Ten years ago, Iowa adopted a plan aimed at improving the state's water quality. The nutrient reduction strategy became the centerpiece of the state's plans to cut pollution from nitrogen and phosphorus, especially from Iowa farms. But how is it working? Over the next few weeks, IPR reporters will have stories related to Iowa's ongoing water quality challenges. To get things started, IPR's Grant Gerlach is here to look back on the last decade of the nutrient reduction strategy. Hey, Grant. Hi, Clay. First off, just some background. Why does Iowa have a so-called nutrient reduction strategy? Well, that's because in 2008, an EPA task force called on not just Iowa, but states throughout the Mississippi River Basin to take action to shrink the dead zone. And that's an area in the Gulf of Mexico where marine life is either dead or gone because nitrogen and phosphorus from the river feed an overgrowth of algae in the ocean. Iowa's nutrient reduction strategy was released in 2013 and it outlines how the state can cut down its share of the nitrogen and phosphorus load by a goal of 45%. And that's important not only for the dead zone, but also locally, because cities like Des Moines battle high nitrogen levels in drinking water in the form of nitrates, and nutrient pollution causes toxic algae blooms that close beaches in the summertime. So that's the starting point. And from there, the NRS is what some call a roadmap or a menu, It gives a list of practices like using cover crops or restoring wetlands. And for each one of those, it calculates how much it improves water quality. And a lot of it relates to agriculture because fertilizer runoff from farms is the major contributor to nutrient pollution in Iowa. And there are a lot of differing opinions about its effectiveness. So the strategy, I mean, it's been around for 10 years. Give us a snapshot. How does water quality in Iowa now compare to 2013? There are a couple ways to look at that. If you look at the rolling averages for the nutrient load in Iowa rivers, not much has changed. There is some up and down, but really it's about the same as it was. Iowa State University also runs models that measure land use changes and compare it to a a reference period from the 80s and 90s. And those most recent models predict the state has actually made progress bringing down phosphorus levels, but nitrogen levels have gone up, not down. And the main reason for that is that there's more land in row crops now than there there was at that time. Keith Schilling of the Iowa Geological Survey at the University of Iowa says right now the scale of the problem is overwhelming the solutions. We have so much land in corn and bean production that unless we reduce that land in production, we're going to have the water quality that we have. It's just as simple as that. 
So people who study water quality, what do they say needs to happen to make more progress in perhaps the next 10 years? They say what needs to happen is more, uh, more conservation, more farm diversity. One program that is generating some momentum is called Batch and Build. And the idea is to design and fund dozens of conservation projects at once. A lot of them are what are called edge of field projects that are effective at filtering nutrients out of water as it drains off the land. Batch and Build has been catching on around the state, and Matt Helmers, the director of the Iowa Nutrient Research Center at Iowa State, says it creates an economy of scale that didn't exist at the start of the NRS. We're starting to see that rate of adoption, especially of some of these edge of field saturated buffers um, in bioreactors and wetlands, start to you know start to go up. But we really want to see that accelerated. It needs to accelerate because the sheer volume of work that needs to be done is immense, with more than 20 million acres in crop production across the state. And as critics often point out, the NRS does not make demands. There are no benchmarks to meet or timelines to meet them. It's voluntary. As another researcher said to me, for too many farmers and landowners, the nutrient reduction strategy is a roadmap that's still in the glove box. Okay, so what's coming up in these stories down the road? So over the next few weeks, we'll have IPR news stories that touch on some ongoing issues with water quality. We'll hear how it's hard to change how farmers use fertilizer. We'll have a story about how new river water trails coming to downtown Des Moines could bring people closer to the issue. And we'll explain the potential risks to public health from high levels of nitrates in drinking water. Those stories are coming up starting next week. All right. And we look forward to hearing them on IPR News. Grant Gerlach, thanks so much. Thanks, Clay. This is Here First from IPR News. You can find this podcast wherever you subscribe to them. I'm Clay Masters.